Hello, and welcome to Memorial Hall Library's Shelf Help Podcast. I'm Stephanie Smith, a cataloging and reference librarian. I'm Justin Tremini, a reference librarian. And we are continuing our discussion of the library book by Susan Orlean as part of Andover's 2021 Community Read. You can find more info on our website, mhl.org. In this episode, we're going to be discussing chapters 22 to 27. And uh, next time will be our final episode on the library book specifically. Uh, so we hope you'll enjoy this penultimate library episode. Where do you want to start, Justin? Um, I mean, I guess we're kind of at a point now where when you and I were last talking about this, we were sort of more towards the beginning of the book. Yeah. And now we're kind of winding down towards the end. Um, so I don't know if maybe we want to talk about like structurally. I know you and Beth kind of talked about the structure of the book yeah. last week. Um, but yeah, what do you think um, now that we're, we're towards the end of it in terms of structure, in terms of the way the stories kind of, all those kind of interlocking stories are kind of coming to a halt um, and sort of winding back together. Um, what, do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, you know, it's funny because reviewing these chapters before recording, I was struck by how short all of them are, mm -hmm. which I think is why I picked this as one of the slightly larger groupings of chapters to discuss because, you know, I mean, like, chapter 22 is, like, four pages. Mm -hmm. Chapter 23 is, like, three pages. And so I, I do, maybe because the chapters are shorter, I did feel like this section was a little bit more all over the place mm -hmm. and I maybe would have liked it to be a little more linear that being said I find each chapter individually very interesting and so I'm pretty happy to just you know I mean none of these are really cliffhangers right like when we get to the end of the reference chapter it's not like what's gonna happen next I mean maybe because we're reference librarians we know what happens next the phone keeps ringing they right. keep answering questions like forever and ever until 5 p.m. on Friday. Right. Um, and then the phone keeps ringing, just we're not there to answer it. Exactly. Yeah. 100%. If you call us at 5.01 on Friday, we will not answer. Uh, you can leave a message and someone will get back to you Saturday. But, <laughs> but yeah, I, so I, I enjoyed each chapter. So it, I think it bothered me less that it kind of was was all over the place. Mm. Um, if anything, I find it the most frustrating when we get back to Harry Peak, maybe because you know, maybe because I've already read to the end, I know we're really not going to get a resolution on that. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, oh, you again. Like, we're just going to speculate and not really get anywhere. Um, yeah. I don't know. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I think structurally, I, I don't dislike the structure of the book. I think it was maybe a little disconcerting at the beginning when you're first reading it, because it does, it's what, maybe three continuous threads. Um, yeah. Or it's kind of the history of the library, uh, the fire, and then um, her and current day kind of going through right. libraries and that library in general. Um, yeah, and they kind of do start to come together towards the end here. Um, I guess it does sort of feel like at least like that thread of her in contemporary time at the library is kind of running out of steam a little bit at this point. Um, yeah. Which could account for the, the shorter chapters. And you're right, like the Harry Peak story it's, it's kind of definitely winding down at this point. Um, but generally I do, I do like the way, like I don't think this book would have worked in a chronological sense at all. I mean, yeah. it, you know, like her writing style is very much like an extended like New Yorker. Right, I think she writes for the New Yorker also. She does, yeah. So. I think that's kind of like where she got her start, I think. Yeah. But so yeah, the idea of maybe trying to do it chronologically just, I, 
it would have never worked because it would have been, you know, you have sort of straight history, you have right. kind of like a, a sociological overview of like contemporary right. libraries, and then you have that one specific story of the fire. Right, sort of true crime. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's fascinating when you do, when they start to all come together, and it just really does feel like it covers so much. Like if, if you were going to have a contemporary writer write a single book trying to encompass like libraries as a, as a concept, I think she does a pretty good job with it. Yeah. And even down to like the name of like the library book, that sounds kind of all encompassing in a way. Yeah. It's not like the library fire or, right. you know, the, the Los Angeles library, a history or something. Right. Um, so I appreciate that. I, I think it definitely, I don't think I would have enjoyed it as much had it read as more kind of straight history or, or if any one of those threads was just its own, its own. Right. Movie. I think if it, if it were going to be chronological, there would have to be a clear way of making a connection between the topics that was not, like, that was not chronological. Like, if you were going to tell it chronologically, that couldn't be the only thing holding it together. You would have to find some other through line, mm -hmm. I think, for it to work. And I'm not sure what that other through line would be. Um, I mean, because you think like in uh, the text as it is, like, it, I think you're absolutely right. And I think you do still need, even with it being in a disjointed kind of sense, you still right. need a through line. And it's just the building in general, right? That's, yeah. that's kind of the through line. Yeah. And I think, I think she does manage to do a good job at the end of each chapter of kind of, not always, but in general on like segueing to the next to the next topic mm -hmm. um not always but i think often there is kind of you know maybe at first it will seem a little bit sudden and then you'll and then you'll kind of get into it and you'll see where it connects or where there's like some little theme going through but i agree i do think the building itself in this case is the through line um you know and how how the building has informed the services in a lot of ways which um which is interesting because I think, you know, I think a lot of people involved with library buildings don't necessarily give a lot of thought explicitly to how the, how the architecture or like how the physical building has an impact on services. But, um, you know, I mean, like in the early days, the problem was always trying to find a big enough building or, you know, they kept having to move. They didn't own a building and that kind of impacted to some extent what they were able to do. And then certainly by the time we get to the sort of, what I think of as like the middle the middle kind of track of this, where they're talking about like how decrepit the building was by the like 60s mm -hmm. um, and how they, you know, really shouldn't probably have been working in it at that point because it was such a fire hat, you know, such a fire hazard and it leaked all the time and the lighting was inadequate, and, you know, to plug in a fan, you had to unplug something else. and you know, by the time, by the time they got to that, clearly the physical building was having an impact on what, you know, what they could and couldn't do, um, at least in terms of the staff, perhaps not as much in terms of the services they could offer. She didn't really look at services in that time period. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I think that that's, I mean, ideally something, if you were going to construct a new library building that, you know, that the architect and the library director would be discussing, like, what do you actually want and need to be able to do? Um, I mean, you know, we've experienced with the makerspace here, the, the physical nature of that space right now, even before the pandemic, limited what could be done. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess in that, 
I think in that regard, you're right. The building is kind of a through line. And also just like it connects. I feel like it reminds me of the Chronicles of Narnia. Mm-hmm. Where you're like, maybe Narnia is actually the main character because that's like the one thing, you know, it's the location that ties it together. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of happening here too. Like all the various things that happen in this place. Yeah, I mean, there's that sort of the physical structure of the building where I think early on she talks about, in my head, trying to imagine it. And, and there is a, I don't know if you've looked at the um, Central Library's website. There's yes. like a, a visual tour you can do to kind of go through. Oh, I didn't find that. That's yeah, fun. yeah, it was really that. cool. It's like a Google Street View kind of yeah. looking thing that they did a really good job with. You can easily get lost in the tour. Um, but I get this impression that it's like this kind of flat building, like not too tall. And right. there's all these entrances that sort of lead to other parts of, of the city or to different streets. Right. And you can kind of see the book as this kind of, it sort of functions in that same way that it's all these different little bifurcating paths that come throughout that one kind of central structure of, of the narrative. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. It's a good way to think about it. Um, and yeah, I mean, even when we kind of, I mean, I think we also, especially when she gets into like the different departments, we kind of get that scheme too of like, you know, now we're going to walk over to the reference department. Now we're going to walk over to the computer center, to the teen room, you know? And so in that way, it is sort of like physically going through the building also. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I like it. Yeah. That's fun. You can yeah. think about that one more. And I think in that way, yeah, you can think of that the, again, the, the idea that the book couldn't be told in a different, like, in right. a different way. Like you're taking such an all-encompassing idea in the way that you can just kind of take these little snippets of stories to kind of flesh out. Right. But I do think it, 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 like it's not, it doesn't feel like it's disjointed too much and it doesn't feel like yeah. they're just little sketches. I feel like it does come right. together in a lot of ways. Yeah, I agree. It feels like they all, they all fit together well. I guess in that way, it kind of makes me think too that it's like a collection, you know, it's a collection of stories about a library. And of course, as she talks about earlier, one of, one of the things that libraries do is collect stories mm-hmm. and for, there's a sort of self-referentiality in that regard also like the book is behaving like a library mm-hmm. in a sense by collecting and arranging all of these all of these stories mm-hmm. um you know even even to the extent of like giving call numbers at the beginning of each chapter mm-hmm. um so it can feel like you're browsing through yeah. a library yeah yeah, I like that. Yeah. Mm. I think another thing that, that kind of struck me in this one, uh, in this section, and you kind of touched on it, upon it for a second, that sort of tug in, like back and forth, kind of like tug of war of like, do they tear down the building, build something fully new, or do they keep this like architecturally significant space? Right. And it's that really difficult point of like, I, I'm sure that space is not, like if you were to build a new public library for the era we live in from the ground up, you would not build something like that. No way. But at the same time, it sounds like it would be such a loss to lose this really like this kind of significant landmark of a building. And yeah. In so many ways, like you can see that's that reflected in that fight over the garden and the parking lot. Yeah. Um, and I could see like there was part of me that was like, no, how could you get rid of that? Like, beautiful garden space but then I'm like imagining the staff members having to park like right. you know a mile away that's not okay as yeah. well but then it seems like the solution was pave the whole thing over lose everything that's there and then only to then which seems like a very 1970s kind of thing to do 
but then to later try to reconstruct the same thing, like build other parking underground and then right. try to recreate the thing that was already there. Yeah. It just sort of shows how it can be difficult to navigate, you know, a historical space. Like what we have here, it's, it's a historical building. Right. We're constantly pushing at the edges of like, what can we fit in this space and what do we need to get rid of to fit more in this space? without and there's nowhere really to build you know to make an addition or anything no i mean short of going even further up yeah uh, you know for anyone who's not familiar this is already a four-story building so you know we've gone up <laughs> yeah and, you know, there's, the like, there's kind of that idea too in um in the book where they were talking about like the the airspace rights or whatever of buildings yeah. and you know how you can kind of like you know, kind of game the system to use that, uh, which is ultimately what the library does, right? They sell right. sell yeah. that space to, to, you know, to other other buildings um, in order right. to get the money to, to grow a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. That was something that I was thinking a lot about a lot as well. And I think, I mean, you know, it was, it was a beautiful building. Um, and I get the desire for historic preservation but you know also i definitely would not have wanted to work in that building yeah. it sounds miserable i mean you know last time was the chapter where they talked about like how they had to work in there until it hit 95 degrees inside mm -hmm. i mean yeah. no thank you yeah, like no. that i think so it it really depends on who's you know like i really want to know were any of the architects that were part of the group fighting to preserve it had any of them ever spent significant time in there? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> you know, and would that would that have changed their perspective? I don't know if uh, we got a did we get a good sense of what how the staff felt about it? Like the current staff at the time, did they want a new building? Yeah, you know, I don't I don't know that that was really touched on. I don't know if there's a record of that anywhere. Mm. Um, but although at the beginning of chapter 25, Orlean writes, in 1973, more than 1,500 library staff members signed a petition complaining that Central Library was a hazardous work environment. Yeah. So, I mean, but whether, whether that means they would have wanted it completely torn down or whether they felt that things could have been done to fix it while while maintaining the essential character that's unclear but clearly uh people were not happy with the mm. state of affairs and honestly probably the preservationists weren't super happy either i mean i know at some point orlean mentions that like old murals had been painted over yeah. um or you know covered up and you know it sounds like the building hadn't really been kept up appropriately mm -hmm. so you know it was sort of like everyone was like a lose-lose mm -hmm. um it wasn't really being preserved but also you know it was not functional for the people who had to be in it every day yeah it's hard it feels like in a perfect world it would have been preserve that building turn it into like a museum or some kind of other right public space, um, but then where do you build a, a new library in a central location right. in a congested city? You know, there's just too many factors all kind of playing in there. Yeah, I know in one of the chapters, they mentioned that, actually at the beginning of chapter 23, they mentioned that, you know, there was at one point a proposal of getting rid of the main library and just having branches. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I guess that would have been one which obviously they didn't go that route. Um, right. There's still a central library in Los Angeles. 
What about, um, do you think that Harry Peak is, was guilty? How do you feel about that? It's a difficult question. It is a difficult question. I, I don't know that there's enough information for me to, to have an opinion as to whether he was guilty or not. I think, I definitely think there are really fishy parts of his story, but I also don't know what his motivation would have been. I mean, other than just sheer attention seeking, mm-hmm. he, he, but like the kind of people who knew him was like, were like, yeah, you know, he was flaky, but he didn't seem like the kind of guy who would burn down a whole building just for the heck of it. Yeah. But, like, then again, people always, I mean, that's what you always see, you know, someone commits a horrific crime, we know they committed it, and everyone around is like, wow, I can't believe they would do this. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, or on the other hand, everyone around is like, oh, yeah, I knew that they were bad news. Um, right. You know, they're a creepy loner. But, but you know, Harry Peak definitely, I mean, despite his, you know his shortcomings did not seem like someone who lacked for friends or acquaintances or no um she doesn't really fit that mold i mean i think earlier she did talk about how he demographically matches with the typical arsonist which is like you know a young man mm-hmm. which he was but i don't know i don't know where i come down on it yeah, it's difficult. It, you know, it definitely seems like his sort of shifting stories of where he was is questionable, but then it seems like he has this history of just lying in general. Yeah. And it does seem quite possible that he may have been trying just for attention to to take the blame for it amongst his right. friend group or whatever. Um, yeah, and it does hit a point where around this part of the book where it's a year later, um, clearly there's no hard evidence of him doing it or even of being there. Right. Um, other than that he kind of fits the description of the, the person that all these people saw. And it just seems like, I don't know, are they just looking for retribution? Like what would throwing that guy in jail do to, to fix the situation? Right. I don't know that it would do anything. I mean, that kind of gets to then that, that civil suit where the, um, what the, was it the fire department was going to, so Harry Peake and his lawyer decide to sue the city for defamation, right. saying that he can no longer get a job because it ruined his reputation. Interesting thing is that the guy, the lawyer who's helping him to sue was the one who was providing him with a job. So that, that yeah. seems a little fishy there. But then yeah. the idea of like a countersuit of, you know, from the, the fire inspectors or whoever of $23 million or something like that uh, to a guy who has no money. Like what, right. what's the purpose of that? I don't, I don't really understand what that was all about. I, I get the people, you know, they want to have some sense of closure through like, okay, we know this the whole story. We know why this happened. We know who did it. Somebody got in trouble or whatever, but it, it does just kind of feel like, you know, Harry Peak was like a troubled person and yeah. had a difficult time in life in general. And, you know, there's not enough, like you said, like it's, it, there's not enough to really say whether he did or didn't do it. So, yeah. you know. It was an interesting little side note when it's talking about how the, the district attorney's office decided not to go forward with the prosecution. And right. it was assumed because they had that like preschool um, trial that they thought they were going to lose, which was actually like, I don't know if you're familiar with that story, but that was part of the 80s satanic panic where mm. there was all these preschools that were being accused of like weird satanic ritual abuse of children. And it turns out that that was one of them where 
Um, you know, the stories that came up in court were of like these people running the preschool flying and like, you know, like witches, like, you know, actual witches like disappearing and reappearing and, and all this kind of strange stuff. So I think they probably, I'm sure they probably felt like, okay, this is going to look really embarrassing, which, which I think it did. Um, yeah. To then be like, okay, like we're going to bring this guy into court and we have no actual physical evidence right. of anything that could be very embarrassing. Well, so that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. On a side note, I just cataloged a novel the other day that someone has written about the uh, preschool satanic panic. So mm -hmm. for anyone wanting more on this topic, uh, you know, I can't remember anything useful like the title or author, but there is a new novel out there about this. And I oh. bet if you, I bet if you did a quick Google search on, you know, satanic panic preschool novel, you would you would probably get there. Although there uh, might be multiple, it's kind of a hot topic these days. Yeah. yeah, there was just an article in the New York Times like last week about how oh. uh, shades of that are cropping up again mm -hmm. in terms of our modern day kind of conspiracy theory culture. So yeah, it's worth mm -hmm. looking at that. So I think you are going to see more and more books and novels coming out. Yeah, uh, definitely. If anybody's interested in that book, though, uh, you know, call the reference desk and we'll find it for you. Yeah, we'll find it. We'll track it down. Yeah, I, w I was actually a little bit surprised at how many people, the fact that they had to have a rule specifically about singing and dancing in the computer center. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's something, I mean, I've definitely had to tell people that here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like not, not so much recently, but pre-coronavirus, I've definitely had to tell people like, no singing and dancing in the library. But those have always been like tweens and teens. Yeah. Not adults at computers we definitely had uh, you know tweens that would kind of do tiktok dances on the roof deck for a while which that's totally. fine i mean yeah you're not bothering anybody i wonder if the the la library if the the rule is no singing and dancing specifically at the computers but it's okay elsewhere or you know like oh if you want to sing and dance go to the biography section yeah go to art and rec yeah, yeah that's fine yeah yeah I mean, considering I'm, like the performing arts community in Los Angeles, maybe there's a specific space for that in the building. Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's it's a great question. I really I really wondered about that. I mm. mean, of all the problems we see at the computers, I feel like that's really not one of them. Yeah. Um, but but I also find it really interesting that that Orlean chose to use the computer center chapter as kind of the segue into like library security. Yeah. Which I think does make sense because computers are a pretty common source of conflict one way or another. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people get frustrated using them and then they take that frustration out on their surroundings or, you know, on the people nearby or, um, yeah, or I just feel like there are a lot of people like congregated at the computers and that can kind of create tension yeah, or just it. like, yeah, more people are there. So there's more like, you know. Like at any given time in a normal day, I would say there's more people like per square foot in the computer section than, than most other places. Yeah, yeah, and I think like for places that are sources of conflict in a public library, it, it typically would be anything revolving fines or late fees or things like yeah. that. But that's typically staff, you know, conflict between staff and individual patrons. Whereas like you're saying in the computer section, often it's patrons versus patrons yeah. in terms of like you said like you know you're often in those in public library computers you might get um people who maybe aren't so computer savvy so they might get stressed out by what's happening and yeah. then maybe they're limited on their time and then somebody else is like you know coming to use it and that can create a lot of conflict right there so yeah. 
Yeah, that makes yeah. sense, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, it was interesting, that whole section, I, I know there's a big kind of dialogue in the library world about security guards in libraries and mm -hmm. does that make the space less inviting for a lot of people? Um, does it cause people to maybe not want to go into the building or does it make it safer? You know, like there's that specific situation in the book where there's that person who approaches the security guard and seems to be having some kind of episode. And it does seem like, at least the way it's presented in the story, the security guards did a good job of like, you know, getting that person to like leave the building, but on, you know, not, not to make them feel alienated or make them feel right. like they're being persecuted in any way. Um, which I know without any kind of security presence, that's really on staff to do that, um, which is fine. It's just when it gets to situations where it might be something that feels a little more dangerous, a little more threatening. So that, that's a difficult topic. Like it's, there's really a lot of, a lot of facets to that. Yeah, I, I agree. And I mean, I think, I think the question of whether security guards are going to make you feel more safe or less inclined to come in, of course, depends a lot on who you are, your previous experiences with security, mm -hmm. you know, probably your race. That's mm -hmm. going to, you know, that's likely to have an impact on this, um, you know, in terms of how you feel about it. But I think also it is maybe going to have, you know, your gender is going to have an impact on this. Mm -hmm. um, and they get into that a little bit here, the security guard mentioning that, like, you know, there is this sort of potential gendered violence dynamic in that most patrons are male, according to this person, and is, most is staff are male. I do feel like we see more men at the computers. Definitely I would not section, yeah. say in the library at large. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's pretty well balanced. Um, but I, I do think we see more men at the computers. Um, I, I wasn't clear on if he was, the security guard was talking about, specifically in the computer section. Right. Because to say like an 80-20 split, I, definitely not in the, in the general population of the building. Yeah. Um, and I, I can't imagine there's anything there, LA specific, that would change that. Um, that doesn't take away from the point, definitely, yeah. that, you know, like staff could feel if it's generally, uh, you know, libraries do definitely generally have more, uh, you know, female gendered staff right. might feel threatened by, by some of the populace. Like that's, right. yeah, it's definitely valid. You know, and also if, if you're, you know, if you're a librarian, usually your training in library school and on the job doesn't include a lot of specific, like, you know, conflict resolution, de-escalation, mm -hmm. like, confrontation. I, I've been to one training in the course of my professional career um, mm -hmm. from the Black Belt. It was called like Black Belt Librarian, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and like that was, that was pretty good, but it was, you know, I think that was even a day-long thing. Mm -hmm. um, one day of training in this out of, you know, years of being in this profession is not a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it would be, so I, I don't know that I do want armed or trained security in libraries. I don't think that's the image and the feeling that I want libraries to have. You know, mm. I, I feel like in a lot of ways having security increases the risk of a problem. 
Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily that the problem would be coming from the security guards, you know, but just that I feel like it, it can put people on edge and kind of give them the idea that like, this is a place of conflict. Mm-hmm. And when you're in that mindset, I feel like you're more likely then to, you know, to produce conflict mm-hmm. or to be anxious. And that's going to, you know, make you tenser and make it more likely that you're going to react badly to something that if you were not primed to expect something bad you would just kind of be like oh whatever um yeah i mean i wonder because i i assume the staff like they know the security guards they're probably like oh that's just dave or whatever he's right. fine well yeah right. i think you're right if you walk into any public space and there is a security guard there your assumption is that yeah this is a, like if you go into a bank there's a security guard because there's a potential for bank robberies i guess right. or whatever if you were to go into like starbucks and all of a sudden there was like an armed security guard you would be like what is what's up with starbucks yeah. like why is this a thing um you know is that really necessary and you're right i think and i think we we run across a lot of patrons who are maybe not super familiar with public libraries in general or maybe they come from a place where libraries are very different and you know, I've definitely talked to people who come from different countries where libraries are a little more exclusive yeah. um, in terms of how people are given access. And I think so often, you know, people who will kind of be shocked that they're allowed to use the computers or check out things, even if they're from a different yeah. town or whatever. And if suddenly you compound that with an armed security guard, they might just come in and be like, oh, yeah, this isn't I'm not supposed to be here. Like, this yeah. is a place that I'm not supposed to be in. Right. You know, I mean, if anything... I would far rather have social workers on mm. staff. Um, you know, people that when you're when you're dealing with someone who's clearly, you know, I feel like a lot of times when we do have patrons who cause problems, it's it doesn't arise out of a vacuum. There's something else going on mm. in their life that you know they've brought with them to the library and now is causing. A problem here and I would much rather in that situation be able be able to get a social worker to kind of intervene I mean because social workers are going to have training I mean they should in like you know conflict resolution mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I would I would rather come at it from that approach you know I mean I personally am not super interested in doing you know conflict resolution work myself I mm-hmm. that's not why I went into this career but but I would rather have someone like a social worker on hand who could kind of step in and not necessarily even point them in the direction of resources although it would be great to have that option if if it kind of became clear like that that would help but um yeah I think like in a situation here at Memorial Hall Library like we we wouldn't like if we had a full-time social worker that person would have a lot of free time on their hands Um, yeah but maybe some kind of situation like in a perfect world where you could have a track in library school that's like a library science slash social work track that could allow in you know again in a perfect world with like plenty of you know no no budget considerations i guess yeah like a few of these staff members in every library because you kind of it's hard because you would need coverage most of the time unless this person's like on call um but yeah Yeah. but i guess you you know what you're hiring a security guard it's the same thing right like you're paying for somebody to be there presumably every hour the building's open or just the busiest times or whatever. Right. So if you had somebody who could serve that function, but also could serve another function in the building of like being a reference librarian. Right. That would be, that'd be a great situation. Yeah. That would be amazing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but yeah, I, 
I think I think I would ultimately come down on the side of not having security guards in the library. Yeah. Um, I think I think the potential harm is more than the potential benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, also, you know, we work in generally safe library. Maybe, you know, maybe I would feel differently if it were a different setting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. But yeah. I mean, like, we don't have to go and sweep the bathrooms to see if people are doing drugs in there. Yeah. Like, for example, you know, if that was part of my daily job description, I would maybe rather have some, like a security person on staff, and that is their job. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, you know, but I don't know. Certainly here, I don't feel, I don't feel the need. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's very situational. I, I would seem like, yeah, like the, you know, the central library in Boston or something, I'm sure right. they have, if not security guards or police or whatever, there's probably somebody right. there who serves that function and, and it's probably necessary in some way. There. Yeah. Just due to the sheer amount of people going in and out of that building every day. Right. Yeah. I was actually, I was there the, before, like a year ago, before yeah. all this happened, I went to the Boston Public Library because I hadn't seen it since they renovated mm. uh, the central site. And there, like a fight broke out while I was there, you know, which, and I went and told the staff member and they're like, all right, yeah, we'll get the guy to go deal with that. Yeah. Like it seemed like a fairly normal thing. So, Probably. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think there is security. One of my friends worked as a teen librarian at the central branch in Boston for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't recall that she had to call in security on the regular, but, um, but I'm pretty sure there is a security presence there. Mm-hmm. Incidentally, they did a great job with that renovation. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's I mean, so nice. The new children's and teen spaces and sort of the main entry. Those mm-hmm. are, those are the places that stick out in my mind as like, the ones from the renovation maybe they did other parts as well but boy they yeah it's really beautiful when things open up again definitely worth uh Mm. worth a visit the next time you find yourself in boston and it was a really they did a good job of integrating the old like the the existing historical structure with i mean obviously they had the luxury of being able to like build out into the building next to it um which not, you know, a lot of libraries would have, but right. yeah, they did a really, really great job. It, even the way it flows from like the old structure to the new structure is really well thought out. Yeah, it's it's very nice. They did a really good job there, which in some ways I find funny that they didn't just go with something new because I feel like there's not a love, a lot of love for the uh, brutalist movement, which is... <laughs> But really you have, what that building is but i mean there's like those john singer sergeant murals in there yeah i mean in the actual yeah. like the reading room is really beautiful like the right. old-fashioned so you're right yeah. like the, the physical exterior structure right. of the building like the outside is not well, beautiful no depending no. on your de- definition of that i guess um you know it's it's reminiscent of a very specific period of architecture yeah <laughs> yeah um but you know, it actually just I was you know finishing up my homework for this podcast, um, reading, going over these chapters this morning, and I was just thinking about how much I I miss like just going to different libraries that I've never been to before, um, yeah, just to kind of be in them. I, I feel like for quite a few years, like working in a library every day, I, I found that I didn't go to other libraries because I could always get my resources here. Right. So, but now it's just to go and visit the the physical structure and on some level maybe to kind of see what other libraries are doing um yeah i i really miss that too and i've been thinking about it lately uh after after recording this i'll be attending 
a virtual meeting of other cataloging librarians from other libraries in the network. And normally, you know, that's, it happens once every two months, it's an hour or two. Normally it's hosted by different libraries. And so it's a really great opportunity, not only to meet with other colleagues in person, but also to go see a different library. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we get to the, you know, we get to the bones of the matter in the virtual meetings, but the feeling, the feeling is different. You know, there's less of the sort of chit chat and like actually getting to know the other people. But also, I really do miss being, you know, that chance to go and visit another library and physically see how they, you know, how it's set up, what that allows them to do. You know, oh, they had this cool display idea or like, oh, you know, they have this freestanding charging station. Why don't we have one of those? Mm -hmm. we, we do, but you know, um, or, you know, whatever, you know, oh, they have this cool thing. Maybe we could add that to our collection. Um, yeah, I really miss that. And hopefully sometime we can get back to doing that. I'd love to visit every library in our consortium. Uh, there are 36, I think, or 37 in MPLC, and I've visited maybe half yeah um and yeah it's it's just always so fun to see to see what's going on in another physical space and i think that's one of the great things about this field is that i feel like so many ideas within that we do here or that other libraries do it's all shared ideas you know yeah. I think it's the very nature of the field of like some um, library somewhere is doing something cool you find out about it you call them up and you're like hey how'd you do that and they're like let me explain step by step yeah definitely because it's better if, you know, if we're doing like something that's really exciting and interesting to our patrons, what more could we want than for other libraries to be doing that for their patrons? Definitely. You know, that's great. Yeah. So you're right. That's something that we're, we're missing out on in, in terms of just seeing. And because oftentimes we're just not aware of what other libraries are doing. Right. If we're not going, if we're not being told or it's not being shared and we're not actually going to other libraries. I know, you know, when I do like the sort of like, um, technology librarian meetings sometimes right. we'll just go around the room and just be like so what's everybody up to what new things are you doing like what services are you providing or what are yeah. problems you're coming up against um, and that's really important in in the field I think yeah yeah no I agree I can't wait until we can get back to that I think uh yeah I just that's not it's not the same to do that virtually mm -hmm. um and yeah you can get an email from someone saying hey you know we're doing this cool thing and that's, that's good, and it gives you an idea, but it's never quite the same as actually going and seeing it. Mm -hmm. So, you know. Yeah, one day. One day, yeah. Someday we'll be back. Mm -hmm. Well, I think we've covered most of the topics. We would definitely be remiss if we didn't devote a little time to the Info Now chapter, just because that is their version of reference, and we are both uh, reference librarians. That's a good point. I do, I loved the idea, like, I clearly, you know, she must have spent, um, Susan Orlean must have spent some time in the, in the building and kind of shadowed staff, I guess. You yeah. know, she was kind of at the circulation desk for a while, and she was, I think she was in the children's room for a while, and this is her kind of little reference piece. And I just love the idea that, like, even in the middle of a conversation with her of talk, like the staff talking about what their jobs are like, it's like, Oh, phone's ringing. Got to go get it. You know, Oh, yeah. there's somebody at the computer. Got to go help them. That, that feels very real to me. Um, I think Definitely. she had a really good job of capturing that. 
I mean, yeah. th there's just reading the chapter, not knowing the, the job, you might kind of think that every phone call is a really quirky, interesting thing. And I mean, there's a lot of just kind of the mundanity, but you know, who wants to yeah. write about that, I guess. And who wants to read about that? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think she, she ends at that a little bit with some of the questions where it's like, oh, okay, clearly this is actually someone looking for a book mm -hmm. um, versus like, oh, this is someone asking like a question that you maybe wouldn't expect that someone would ask a librarian. Mm -hmm. um, I, I also just thought it was funny with, with the books because it was clearly like, it was very much at that time, like someone was looking for the life-changing magic of tidying up. Yeah. And, and then someone was looking for uh, a book by Celeste Ng, which I assume is Little Fires Everywhere, which mm. was huge, you know, huge when it first came out a few years ago. I was um, kind of shocked that the librarian didn't know the life-changing magic of tidying up. I'm wondering if this was like right before that book hit it really big. Yeah. I mean, I was also a little bit surprised when they were like, okay, you know, Celeste, last name, letter N, the letter G, just NG. And I'm like, yeah, again, like that was a huge, huge book. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, when I get people asking me for, I think at one point someone asked me for little fries everywhere, <laughs> which I, <laughs> I would read that book. Uh. Um, but like, you know, I, I knew that in fact they were looking for little fires everywhere, mm -hmm. uh, you know, or like, I, you know, I had people ask me for like fire, fire everywhere. And I'm like, mm -hmm. you mean a little fires everywhere. Yeah. After a while, like when you've been asked for this book, you know, a hundred times, like right. it's, you're right. Like once when, you know, you, you even know when people are saying the wrong title, you, you get a sense of what they're actually right. looking for. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, maybe this was written just just as those were, you know, starting to become really big. Yeah, I mean, the first few times you don't necessarily know, or I mean, we get asked about so many books, we see so many books, we can't possibly keep all of them straight. Mm -hmm. I can't even remember the name of that satanic book that I cataloged yesterday. You right. know, yeah. it's already it's already lost among the wash of the like thirty other books I handled yesterday. So. Yeah, I definitely think from my experience, like working in the circulation department, you have a much better, because you physically see that same book over and over and Agreed. over and over. I feel like in reference, it's really contingent on who's calling us or who's coming up to the desk to ask for something. Absolutely. I um, definitely, in previous jobs when I've worked circ, I felt like I had a way better pulse on what is the hot book right now. Because there's definitely... The Oh, God, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, you just like, you know, what are the titles that everyone is looking for? Yeah, like, I feel like we get now, you know, somebody, if it's the first time you've heard of this book, but it's, it's on the verge of becoming that book, you'll sometimes get like, oh, you haven't heard of yeah. Little Fires yeah. Everywhere, whatever it is. And it's like, no, I haven't. Yeah. Or like, maybe I have, but like, it didn't stand out to me because I've heard, like, you know, I, I encountered dozens of books yesterday. Yeah. Like, you know, mostly they don't stand out. Mm -hmm. Like, we just, we can't possibly remember all of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I do agree that this chapter skewed a little bit quirky. Yeah. Um, which makes sense. That makes for, that makes for better reading. Yeah, but, um, but it's maybe not an entirely accurate representation uh, <laughs> of an hour on the reference desk mm -hmm. or whatever. I mean, that being said, you know, it did feel very realistic. I, mm -hmm. I fully believe that all of these questions were asked. Mm -hmm. 
It's interesting too, there's a piece um, at the end of that section where one of the librarians is saying that their friends kind of constantly are asking them all these questions. And for me, I feel like it's the opposite. Like if any friend is like just pondering something, I want to like look it up for them. Like I want to, I want to be the one who finds the answer. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of my friends are librarians. Mm. And so there isn't really that dynamic because it's yeah. like, you know, if I'm not looking it up, someone else already is. Yeah. Um, I, I knew though at one point, I, I don't know if people, when they find out I'm a librarian, assume that I'll have the answers, but there was one encounter in my life that really struck out to me. I had just, I had just met someone. They, you know, this was an older woman in her 60s, and I was at that time like 27. And, uh, and just out of nowhere on the first meeting, she's like, do you know how to get rid of a hospital bed? And I was like, why would you think I, mm-hmm. but by freak chance, I had just gotten rid of a hospital bed, but there was no way for her to have known that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why, like, this is a weird and specific question. Why on earth would you think that I have an answer for this? And, and someone later was like, well, maybe it's because you're a librarian. And mm-hmm. I was like, sure, that's as good an explanation as anything else, because uh, yeah, I just, I don't know why, you know, why an older person would ask a younger person that. Like, I like to think that's, that's how the public sees us, that we just know everything. Yeah. Well, if we don't, because we don't know everything, but I think we're, we're kind of maybe one step ahead on how to find, how to yeah. get that information. Like, that's, that's kind of what, what we're good at, I think. Yeah, I agree. That's really, that's really what our skill set is, is finding out information. Mm-hmm. Um, we definitely don't know everything. And you know, reminder, we are not mind readers. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, we, we do need some level of information to go on. The job would be a lot easier if we were mind readers. Yes, but probably a lot less pleasant also. That's true. <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> I, I definitely don't want to know what most of our patrons are thinking about. Um, but it would be easier. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you could just just look inside and see see the cover that people are looking for mm-hmm. you know see the book cover yeah just be like when they come up to the ask okay just like picture it clearly in your head yeah. <laughs> as best you can uh if we could only turn it on and off for that specific purpose maybe mm-hmm. and i maybe i would go in for it but uh i don't know one of my one of my favorite books is kind of based on this premise of like what if mind reading were a thing and it just immediately becomes clear that, like, this is a terrible idea. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Um, but, you know. Well, are there any other topics that we wanted to cover from here? I think, I think I've think i hit most of my notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you said, it was a pretty short section. Yeah. Um, and it almost, it is like that sort of penultimate kind of, leading all the threads up to probably what the final threads are um, exactly the last bit of the book so yeah yeah i think we i think we got everything well fantastic so uh for the next episode to wrap up this book we will both be we will both be there and we'll also be joined by jerry and beth from previous episodes for a sort of group wrap up so That will be airing two weeks after this episode, and uh, we hope you'll be able to join us for both. 
So I think that wraps up this episode. And uh, as stated before, you can listen on our website at mhl.org slash podcast, or you can listen, subscribe, rate, review in Apple Podcasts, uh, on Spotify, and on Stitcher. And we hope you'll join us next time. Bye. Bye.